April Fools to you, it's me again. You know, as Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Jamie, I guess, feels obligated from time to time to let me come back. And I have to admit, uh, when I come back, I feel more like a father speaking to his own. And sometimes I feel I come back with a little bit of um, admonishment, a little bit of uh, concern and correction, but not today. Today I come with affirmation and admiration. I am so grateful for your heart of generosity. This church, I tell you, I find great, great encouragement that I had the privilege of 25 years of being part of shepherding this flock. Because this flock has always, always have had a generous heart. I understand a month ago there was an offering for the Janine Project. Uh, hopes and prayers of a group living in northern Israel for a Bible center in kind of an antagonistic area. And they came to you and the goal was $100,000. You gave nearly $200,000. You have a generous heart. I understand, told last weekend with your desire to uh, complete the Compelled by Grace campaign, as uh, Shannon said, you gave over half a million dollars. I mean, uh, this church possesses people who understand what a generous heart is all about. Now, I know some of you, I'm smarter than I look. Ah. I know some of you are kind of looking on the side and saying, who are these people who are so generous? Well, apparently, if you're looking around, it's not you. <laughs> so I am here as a loving father to help you understand what they already understand on what is it about having a generous heart. It has everything to do with how you view money. Now you say, we're going to talk about money. Relax. We already took the offering. We're not taking a second one. And I don't work here anymore. All right? It was a Louis Leffen writing in Forbes magazine. He wrote this, an article, How to Think About Money. Forbes magazine. Quote, Sooner or later, I expect Americans to give up their comic faith in the miraculous power of money. Not for any preacher's reason, but because as with any other neurosis, more people will come to appreciate that the substitution of shadow for substance, of illusion for reality, results in the behavior both idiotic and dangerous. End of quote. How rude. No, I didn't say that because I wouldn't want to be rude to you. But I wonder if Jesus would agree with what he just said. I have a friend who was working on his doctor dissertation and he surveyed all the pastors in the valley wanting to know what is the one thing grinding your people down and really robbing them of the joy of their faith in Jesus Christ. When, when he came out with the dissertation, these were the results. Uh, among the um, single parents... The answer was finances. Among the young couples, the newly married couples, couples of newborns, the answer was finances. Finally, they got to us older couples who have accumulated all this wisdom. And like I've said many times before, all wisdom is is accumulation of, boy, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so you think we would have figured this whole thing out being older couples. 
And what was the major problem with all the older couples? Finances. It's like old Ben Franklin said, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it creates one. Now, should we be talking about money? This is church. We all know the greatest criticism of church is all they want to do is loosen you from your wallet for their pet project, right? We know the church, all they want is your money. Well, therefore, let's not talk about money. Let's talk about a generous heart. Because does God have anything to say? If God says something about something in our life, and it's a response that we make, either to ignore or to embrace, that by nature is called a spiritual issue. Because God has something to say about it. Well, does God have anything to say about money? About generosity? Did you know of the 38 parables, the 38 parables Jesus gave, 16 of them were about money. Do you know that there is more said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined? In the scripture, four times the scripture speaks about money, four times more than prayer. We have 500 prayer, uh, verses on prayer in the scriptures. Over 2,000 scriptures of how to take a look and how to view our resources. And this is a spiritual issue. Generosity is the way we think about what we've been given. That's generosity. Generosity is the way we think about what we've been given. So how does a generous heart fit into this? And what does God actually say about this? That's most of you already know. But this is for those looking around at you, wondering, why do you do this? We want them to catch up with the rest of us. So open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. See, the context of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is the context about money. The Apostle Paul He's going around to all these Gentile churches taking up collections. And he's doing that because he's trying to fund the fund for the uh, suffering Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. Because of a famine and the persecution against early Christians who were Jewish, they're hurting. Their cup is empty. And so Paul, Jewish rabbi, he's going out to Gentile Goyim, Goyim churches and he's asking them if they would give money to supply the needs of these suffering Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, notice how this whole discussion begins in the first five verses of chapter 8. Paul says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. You want to take a look at the grace of God? He says, Here's what it looks like, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, boy, that would be a different experience, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Now, now is Paul playing with us here? I mean, come on, Paul. Are you telling me there are people 
Even people who don't have very much money, they're in Macedonia, and they're basically excited about giving money away. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Who would ever be excited about giving money away? Unless they knew the four principles of generosity. And like I said, many of you know these principles. Some of you don't. These folks did. And that's why they viewed what had been given to them totally different than most people. And I want you to view it the same way. So look at the very first of these four principles of generosity. And we begin in chapter 9, verse 6. And here, basically, Paul gives us the first one. It's the principle of increase. The principle of increase. Look at verse 6. Paul says, now this I say. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. (laughs) Now, what is this sowing and, and reaping stuff? Well, this is the grace of God. He was talking about the beginning of chapter 8. This is what it looks like in people's lives. Here's the deal. The one who gives is blessed by the act of giving. Let me say that again because that's kind of counterintuitive. The one who gives is blessed by the act of giving. Now, are you sure that's what it says? Well, Jesus apparently thought it was because he said it as well. There's a verse that you've heard, and you can't find it in the Gospels, but you find that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoting a saying this, it is more blessed to give than to, yeah, you know the verse, don't you hate that verse? I mean, there are certain verses that in the Bible I really do not like. Like I remember 1 Peter 3, 7, don't like that verse. Husbands, live with your wives. According to understanding, realizing they're woman, they're, they're more fragile. You grant them honor, the grace of God, lest your prayers be hindered. God said, I don't want to talk to you unless you're honoring your wife. I don't struggle with that part. It's the part, live with your wives according to understanding. Now, I have studied that. It does not say understand your wife because God does not command us to do anything impossible. All right? But I'm still not so sure I like the verse, but I live it out in obedience. This is another one of those verses. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm sorry. I like being on the receiving side, don't you? I mean, I love. You want to give me something? Give it. I love getting stuff. But Solomon, who's one of the wisest men who ever lived, and also, by the way, one of the richest men who ever lived, in his, in his compilation of Proverbs, he says something very similar to this, and Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. Solomon says, in wisdom, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. Hmm. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet results only in him wanting more. The generous man, the generous woman will be prosperous. And he, she who waters will himself, herself be watered. Now, what is this principle of, of, of increase? This sparingly you sow and sparingly you reap, bountifully you sow, bountifully you reap. All Paul's doing is he's picturing a farmer here sowing seed. And if you want a big crop, you better throw what? A lot of seed. You can kind of say, well, you know, things are tough now. We got to tighten up. Uh, we're going to throw less seed. Let's just throw five seeds out there. 
Well, then fine, but don't expect a huge crop. Don't expect much results because you tend to just tip God and think something's going to happen. Here's the kicker. Apparently, God has designed money the same way he's designed grain. It only works when it is sown. It only works when it's sown. You see, you mean money works? I thought it was just supposed to take care of me. Oh, you have a limited view of money. It does so much more. And we have the privilege of being able to have some of it. God's designed money as he's designed grain. Now, it works only if it's sown, but not thrown. You take seed, throw it in the rocks. You throw it you know, on cement. You squandered it. So he's not saying just throw seed, throw seed. No, 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 no. You sow it. You place it carefully, expecting a return. Because if you just throw it out there and you expect no return, you don't even know what the return might be. Well, then that's squandering. Not only seed, same thing fits with money. You're squandering money. So if, if, if you want to reap bountifully, carefully sow bountifully. But if you really don't expect to have much and this to be any part of your Christian life, well, then don't, don't pay attention to it. But don't expect to see the grace of God in your own life when it comes to finances. See, but, but this can be abused. I mean, I've heard Radio G-I-V-E, give, give, give. I mean, I've seen a guy on TV. You just throw a little seed my way and God's gonna make you a millionaire. Well, I can work this one. I'll play the system, give a lot, get a lot. Not quite. That's why there is a second principle. Notice the principle of intent in verse 7. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart. Purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now what says let each one do just as they have purposed in their heart. The tense of the verb purpose means once and for all make up your mind. Are you going to be generous? Is this going to be part of your life? Or are you going to be greedy? And you're going to absorb everything in your life. Make up your mind, but it is a free choice. It's a choice you make. You don't do it grudgingly. Grudgingly means speaks of the pain as that money goes through those clenched hands and you just ah! No, no, don't give it. And this other thing of, of compulsion means under guilt. You don't get, well, I guess I should do this. I'm a Christian, so I, I guess I better be generous. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? He says, hey, you can give your body to be burnt. That's pretty generous. And it means nothing to God unless the intention is love. Is love. Is love. See, God doesn't need our loose change. You don't have to tip God at the offering. God isn't interested in raising money. He's interested in raising children. This has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ, the priority of Jesus in our lives. God loves a cheerful giver. You know that word cheerful, what the Greek word is? Hilaros. And I won't go any further with that. The offering should be basically the high point of the service. I've always wondered, what if somebody thought the service was 9.30, 9.40, and they come in here, and they come in right at the time of the offering. 
and they're looking at everybody. What are you going to look like during the time of the offering? Like you're being punished? Oh, yeah, this is the time for the offering. I mean, how many churches do look like they've been baptized in pickle juice during the offering? And yet he says here, it is to be something that's hilarity, a, a joy. Uh, I was at a church last week, and they said, now we're going to worship God. In the most pure way we can worship this morning, we're going to take an offering and give back to God what he's given to us. And people were smiling. It was wonderful. Church in Sun City, everybody was older than I was, and they had already learned these principles. So this principle of intent is basically, you know, God, this is something I want to do. I've made up my mind. I will be a generous person. I will show the grace of God in my life, and I'll splash that grace out by being generous. Well, the intent, therefore, is to honor God. God, this is as much as honoring you as anything I can do is to be a generous person to needs and people around me. Well, that leads to this third principle of investment. Like I said, if you're just throwing money away, just giving it away because the phone call calls and give it to this, give it to that. This, no, 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 that, that's squandering. Why would God trust you anymore? That's not honoring God. You honor God when you view it as an investment. An investment is you're expecting, expecting some kind of return. And so notice the principle of investment, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all the sufficiency in everything you may have in abundance. Now, usually I've heard this verse read and they stop right there. And it sounds great. God promises to make me rich. May I suggest never stop in the middle of a verse. Do, do you like to have somebody cut you off in the middle of a sentence and then hold you to what you said in the first part of your sentence and it never got to your purpose clause? Here's the whole verse. Having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Why? Because as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God doesn't load you up with wealth to watch you squander it. It's all about that wealth going to his purposes. Now here Paul, Paul makes reference to a psalm. Psalm 112, verse 9. And this psalm is a great psalm because it speaks about God's heart and how God answers the prayers of people around the world who pray, God, where are you? God, I'm hurting here. God, I need help. God, help. Are you even there? And God answers those prayers by his righteous ones. He scatters his righteous ones. And these righteous ones carry out and fill the cups of need of those who so badly are praying and asking for it. I mean, think of the years. Look at history yourself. Who is it that provided for the hospitals, the schools, provision for the poor, the provision for the people hurting? Christians. It's the church. I mean, it's God's the Bible church. There are women today who are no longer being beaten by their husbands because dinner isn't ready, because they didn't have time to make dinner, because they had to travel six, seven miles to get the water for the family. But because of this church, two wells now exist in Tanzania, 
and those ladies can go to the well, the water, prepare the meal, and there's peace in those homes, and God is honored and glorified with a wonderful church. There, there's a Christian school. You began in Tanzania, up north, and it is so committed to education and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's 95% Islam, the community. And guess what the parents do because they want their kids to have a good education. They send them to the Christian school and it's only there because you, you some years ago sacrificially gave towards that. I mean, there are kids downtown Phoenix today are wearing shoes you provided so they don't have to be embarrassed and go barefooted. There's a church in Mexico, Hermosillo, and the reason it's there is because you were generous. I love this church. I love you. At least those of you who are looking around saying, who are these people? <laughs> and those of you who are looking around, I'm talking to you. I want you to catch up. God scatters his righteous ones. He scatters us around the world for the purpose of accomplishing his purposes. And his purposes are answering those prayers. And we get to be part and provide that answer. People are more important to God than things. Think about it. God created people. People create things. So what should we value more? The very people God created. But how do I know what to invest? Good question. Verses 10 and 11. Paul says, Now he, Jesus, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You, you will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is producing thanksgivings to God. God supplies two things. You work hard. You produce resources. You get a paycheck. And then when we were little kids, everything was what? Mine, mine. But we're no longer children who realize God could take our wealth away. He could take our health away. He could get us fired tomorrow. He could get us so that we could produce nothing. And so he puts us in a place that we can work and we can produce and we receive and we accumulate resources. But here's the deal. Paul says some of those resources are bread for food. That's for you. That's for you to enjoy, for you to take a look and provide for your family thinking about the future for your children's education, uh, insurance to provide love for your wife and protection. Whatever it is, it's the needs of your family. God, some of that is bread for you to, be cons to consume it. But part of what we receive is also, he says, seed for sowing. Now, some of us got a little problem. We're chewing on the seed. And we're supposed to be just eating the bread. Because not everything we receive is bread. But some of it is seed. And notice what he promises to multiply. He won't say, boy, you're faithful. I will multiply your bread and I'll get you so fat that you won't fit in through the door of your house. No. He says, you be faithful with sowing the seed and I will multiply because I'm looking for Christians who basically do not need spiritual Drano. I would love to be answering prayers and touching people's lives through my righteous ones that I scatter. But I can't if everything you receive you think is bread for you to consume on yourself and your family. Some of it, forget percentages, some of it is seed 
to sow. Now, how, how, how do I know what is seed to sow and what's bread? Well, I think I've heard the term budget before. But I will say this. This is where Ecclesiastes, Paul tells us about contentment. In Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content. Apparently, it's something you learn. It's not natural. I, I've learned to be content when I have a lot. I, I, I've learned the skill of being content when I have very, very little. When I'm full, when I'm hungry. And, and Paul learned the secret of contentment from Solomon himself in his journal in Ecclesiastes 5.19. Remember when we taught this before and Solomon says, you do know that if you acknowledge the bread, you acknowledge whatever God has given you, your spouse, your home, your job, your car, your children, your grandchildren, you acknowledge everything you have, God will shalat you. Remember that word? Not shalat, shalat. Remember the Hebrew word meant that God will give you a capacity to extract such enjoyment from what you have, you need no more to be happy. That's what contentment is. Is I'm enjoying my life and I have this capacity God gives me to extract so much joy and enjoyment from what I have and that happens every time I acknowledge that what I have came from his hand. It's the bread that God has given me for food. Now, the more I am content, the less I'm attracted to chew on the seed. So when I realize I've got extra, I know exactly what that's for. That is to sow. That is seed to sow. Contentment actually frees up more seed and causes us to be less confused about the bread we have. Everything beyond that is provided for seed to invest in the purpose of God in answering God, prayers that people have that God wants to answer through you. He says it will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is the reality of your relationship with him as a son and a daughter with the heavenly father. You're in a right relationship. And those in a right relationship with God, sons and daughters, they are generous in heart because they participate with the father in answering the prayers of those who are in great need. Well, this all uh, comes and culminates in the final principle, the principle of worship. Look at verses 12 to the end. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. This isn't just about feeding people. The Red Cross can do that. United Way can do that. Oh, no. Your money is sacred. It does so much more. Look. But as also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of your faith in the gospel of Christ and for the generosity of your contribution. Huh. This is not just about, this is not about money. This is about service, about ministry. That word service is used for temple worship of the priest. See, priests were bridge builders. Their, their job was to bring God to man and Man to God. There's people thinking, God's a million miles away. Where's the love of God when you need it? And the fact is, God is not a million miles away. They, they moved. But they moved themselves because they've convinced themselves there is no grace of God to be seen until one of the children of God that he has scattered approaches them and are indeed generous to them. This is about producing and creating Worship, an act of worship that produces worship. You see, who would think money 
I, I, I thought it was called filthy lucre. I know I, I meet different wealthy people. <laughs> They're great people who worked hard. And I say, oh, so you're filthy rich. Makes them a little... But you know me, I'm, I can be odious. The point basically is, is, is this. Filthy lucre, money, can actually become something sacred that actually produces praise and worship to God. Those of you who've known me for a long time, you know this story. But many of you don't. When I was in seminary, I was a junior high pastor. Um, that does have a way of retarding your social development, so here you go. <laughs> but I was making $125 uh, uh, a month. Uh, how do you live $125 a month? Well, you marry a gal who makes $750 a month <laughs> as a secretary for Wilshire on Wilshire Boulevard for Kemper Insurance. So we, our budget was about $1,000. We're living. We're okay. And then Holly gets herself pregnant. Little John John, Dr. John, Christopher Dell, who say. And she held, and, and, and she worked till her ninth month uh, because we like to eat. And she uh, finally had, had to quit. And I remember our, we went down 125 a month. And uh, sometimes leadership's not as sensitive as it should be, at least not there and then. And uh, I went back to work at McDonald's. That's how I worked my way through college. And after a couple of weeks, somebody in the church saw me working, flipping burgers, <laughs> complained to the board, and they got mad at me. That was fine because they gave me a raise. <laughs> but I remember we had $600 a month, and our car, we had a 1969 Volkswagen, and it broke. So it cost us $325 to fix it. I don't have $325, God. So we had to put up in, on blocks in our one little park-covered parking spot, and then my dad let me borrow this beat-up old spider. Remember the little Italian car looks like a roller skate? The top had already been ripped off. And so we had to park it on Woodman Avenue right in front of our apartment, only to have it one night the seats were stolen. <laughs> this is truth. Jesus is listening. I go down to the dump, and I get two tires, one for me and one for Holly. And you sit on the back of the tire, because if you sit too close, you go down the hole. One Sunday morning, I have that choke out trying to get this thing started. It is cold. Holly has little John all wrapped up, and she's sitting there, sitting on her tire, just kind of shivering. And I'm saying, this is so pitiful. And I remember right there, I said, Lord, I will never hurt this woman. I will never hurt this woman. It was about a week later, about 6 o'clock at night, around dinner time, knock on the door. One of my uh, student friends, Will Roberts, shows up around dinner time. Oh, great. Will, come on in, share a bean with us. <laughs> Was not that excited to see him. He said, no, I can't stay, but he gives me this white envelope and he leaves. Holly says, what's, I don't know. We open it up, $330. We have $325 to fix the car. God's answered our prayers. Who would ever think it'd be Will Roberts? And we've got $5 to go to McDonald's and celebrate tonight. But that night before we took off, Holly and I were on our knees worshiping and praising God. And I'm still talking about it 42 years later. That's the best $330 investment Will Roberts has ever given. Because I am still moved by the grace of God in my life 
And I always go right back to that remarkable moment. That's what money, money, filthy lucre? No, no, we view money as something that God has given us. Some of it is bread, and we are content. And so we enjoy what God gives us and thank him for and acknowledge us from his hand. But we always know that some of what he's given us is seed to sow. And if we're faithful in that sowing of that seed, that's when money works. And when it begins to have the return of producing praise and thanksgiving to God, that's the sacred use of a generous heart. And that's why we celebrate these principles. And that's why most of you already know this. And those of you who don't, we want to make sure you catch up with the rest of us. It's a principle of increase. If you're really going to trust God that he's going to do something special and show you his grace in your life, then take the risk and sow bountifully. The principle of intent. Realize that's not to make money, it's not to get rich. It is to honor our Heavenly Father, to thank Him for all He's given to us. The principle of investment. I expect a return, and the return I expect is to see praise and thanksgiving return to God because of my investment in these people's lives. And the principle of worship, it is the very act of worship that produces worship. Like I said, I'm, I'm smarter than I look. I want to give you a little homework. Those of you who already know these, you can pass. I'll give you a pass. Ed, you get a pass, all right? But for the rest of you still looking around, let me tell you what I do. I, um, this here bill right here, it's a $20 bill. And you say, why is it all folded up? Well, because I had to make a decision about this bill. I had to decide if this was bread or seed. And um, I realized I have a few of these. And I asked myself a very simple question. This week, this week, this week, do I need this $20? Is my life and all that God has given me, does it depend on this $20? Do I need this to be bread in my life this week? And for me, it was like, no, not really. Well, then it makes it what? Seed. Oh, but I'm going to confuse my seed with the bread. So that's why I fold it up and make it a little like this. And then I go ahead and stick it right here in the corner of my wallet. Now you go, well, you know, I'm in school. I'm young, $20, right? $20 is a lot of money, right? That's fine, because over here, I have a $5 bill, all, just for you, just for you. And if you're really cheap, a dollar bill works as well. Now, what do you do with this? Oh, this week is going to be an adventure for me, because this week, with all the stuff I've got going on, I am looking, I am looking and letting God guide me to the person who's been praying, God, I need some encouragement. God, I need to know you're there. I just need to know that you still love me. I remember a few years ago, Ashton Square Mall, got my little seed stuck in the corner of my wallet, and I, I'm driving out, uh, ready to leave the parking lot, and here's this dear older lady, and she has a broom, and she's sweeping the, the, the parking lot. I don't know if she was hot, what, but she's sweeping the parking lot. 
So I just opened up my wallet, took the little seat out, pulled over there, rolled down my window. I said, excuse me. By the way, there's a God in heaven who loves you and he wants you to have this. And then I just drove off. And I thought I saw her in my rear view mirror drop the broom and lift her hands to God. For 20 bucks? For $5? For a buck, you have no idea. We can play games with how people are blessed, but I will tell you, nobody is more blessed than when they receive money that they were not expecting and it's given to them by a loving father and they're reminded. This is how we view money. It's not filthy lucre. It is something so beyond what most people view. And most of you know this. And again, those of you going, who are these people? <laughs> now you know. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us these principles and teaching us about truth. Lord, that you are our Lord Jesus Christ and you provide for us, you give us bread and we acknowledge it from your hands and with contentment we extract such enjoyment and the abundant life that you've given us and we share it with our loved ones, our family, our children, we provide, we protect. But Father, in your generosity, you also give us seed to sow and then you watch us on how much we'll trust you how much we'll risk, how much we'll release to be seed and watch you multiply it so that we can sow even more seed and be a blessing and acts of worship throughout our days. But Father, we now come to that last verse that Paul shares where we thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ to us. We thank you, Father, even now as we remember and celebrate that gift. In the name of Christ, amen.